And uh, we came back, I guess we were about a half an hour. And in that half an hour, our lives changed. Our family's lives changed. Uh, everything was different because uh, he had threatened her uh, and he had raped her. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer, and with me is my husband, filmmaker, author, speaker, writer, researcher. Keep going. I, <laughs> Mark I need Archer. More titles. <laughs> I need more titles. Hey, we are your best husband ever. Filmmaking missionaries. Super dad. Right. All right. So today we are going to introduce you guys to Dr. Judith Reisman, who we interviewed at the end of December of last year. She is an author, researcher, educator, an expert witness exposing fraud in sex science and education since 1977. She's so, been at this a while. A while. It was it it was a must for us to be able to go down and interview her while working on our documentary film, The Mind Polluters. Yeah, in fact, when we decided that we wanted to do a film about comprehensive sex ed and its effects and where it came from and then somehow we got connected with one of dr reisman's reports mm-hmm. and it was it wasn't just one it was three or four of them <laughs> Multiple. It was hundreds of pages of material and i started reading it and i spent i don't know a day and a half two days reading it and i went this is exactly what the film is. This mm-hmm. is this is where we have to start. Yeah. And so you quickly realize when you're in this space that if you're going to do anything related to CSE and pornography and obscenity, uh, Dr. Reisman is the the one to start with. The go to, yeah. She has been at this longer than virtually anyone. She has been exposing this since before many of us were out of diapers. I mean, she's taken on Playboy and won. <laughs> she, they tried yeah. to sue her. <laughs> yeah, they sued her. She, she beat Playboy. Um, and you're going to hear her. This is this is going to be a multi-part interview. Yes. We spent a lot of time with Judith. You're going to hear her towards the end talk about Alfred Kinsey mm-hmm. and how she first was introduced to what has now become her life's work exposing Kinsey. And the reason that this is so important, if you go back and you listen, especially to the interview that you did with Monica Klein, Mm -hmm. and Monica Klein was a CSE educator trained by Planned Parenthood. And one of the things that Monica said in her interview was that these people who are pushing this agenda, they believe it when they say children are sexual from birth. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear this over and over. Well, children are sexual from birth. Therefore, they can justify Mm -hmm. all of these things. And they can justify all of the madness that we see happening right now, all the way down to trying to justify pedophilia. Well, which we've seen in California, where now, you know, 10 years, the the age gap, where now it's it's no longer criminal offense if it they're within 10 years of each other right so speaking of which i i have an article i just wanted to share part of it that i i found this morning on world net daily 
which is WND.com. Uh, legal team warns of Equality Act nightmares to come. And, you know, if you're not paying attention, I think those of you that listen to the show, you are paying attention and you know what's coming. And we say all the time elections have consequences and uh, we have to be go into this with our eyes wide open of what is going to happen here. Um, the, the byline is bride to be <clears throat> found herself being helped trying on a wedding dress by a man. The so-called Equality Act that Democrats are trying to push through Congress has been criticized as a list of LGBTQ agenda points forced on unwilling Americans that would nullify the First Amendment's protection of religion. Now a legal team reports a nightmare experienced by a bride-to-be. The salesperson was wearing a COVID mask, dress, tights, and heels. The salesperson proceeded to help Anne in the dressing room touching private areas of her body while helping her in and out of wedding dresses. This is from Liberty Council. It was then that her sister and mother pulled her aside and notified her that the salesperson was a man. She, quote, had never undressed in front of a man and felt violated and deceived by the bridal store. When her fiancé later went into the store to confront the store owner, the owner defended the employee and said she was required by law to treat the man as if he was a woman. Uh, and it goes on. If We'll put the link to this article <clears throat> in the show notes. Um, <clears throat> this is where we are. This is, this is what's happening, and it's what's coming. Uh, it's, a, it's a scary time. And as a father of three daughters, this infuriates me mm-hmm. and makes me uh, just... So then you begin to ask, how did we get here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, what is this that they're talking about? Right. What is? Well, how did we get to this point? Which is the whole reason why we're doing the mind polluters, because it, it all goes together. It's not just about what they're teaching in the classrooms. It's about what our society has been embracing mm-hmm. for generations. And how, where did we get this? notion of children are sexual from birth and we use that to to excuse all of these heinous sinful acts from homosexuality to now pedophilia it all goes back to this guy kinsey mm-hmm. and that's what judith is going to talk about and she she was very very open with us and sharing her story of um you know the one of the Great business books. If you haven't read Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Yeah. And we always say that when we go in to interview people, we, we're more interested in their why. Because when you're, when you're telling a story and you're trying to introduce characters, you don't care about a character until you understand their motivations. That's their why. And I think it was interesting after we sat through our interview, which was very extensive and very long. I mean, we sat with Judith for three hours. Yeah. And the last question I asked her is, how do you keep keep doing this for so many? How have you done this for decades? And she paused. And I mean, I kind of get choked up about it now because she said, it's what the Lord, it's my assignment the Lord has given me. Mm Mm-hmm. And you realize when you are walking with the Lord 
And I, I thought of Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There are things that happen in each of our lives. We've all experienced different things. We all come from different backgrounds and have different perspectives and things to add to communities and society and the building up of the body of Christ and sharing love. And I I just, Judith. (laughs) Judith is an example of uniquely equipped. Uniquely equipped. And when you hear, you got to really pay very close attention because Judith, when she speaks, you just have to listen. There's so much depth in Mm -hmm. everything that she says because she has been at this for so long. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, you have to understand how she became who she is now to understand the the drive that she has. And I don't know how many books she has written. <laughs> many, uh, five, six? Five or six books. Um, and we will put links to those also in the show notes. Um, so one more quick thing before we go to Judith. We get a, an email every day from the Institute for Creation Research called Days of Praise. And I just thought this was, this was very applicable for today's subject. It's called Living in the Real World. Uh, people often think they're being practical when they place material values ahead of spiritual, emphasizing that we have to, quote, live in the real world. The fact is, however, that we're not living in the real world at all but in a world that is dying and will soon be gone. For the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 1 John 2.17, King James Version. This is not even the world that God created, for that world was very good. Mm -hmm. Genesis Genesis. 1.31. Because, quote, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, Romans 5.12. Therefore the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain, together until now, Romans 8.22. In fact, this world is not even as it was soon after God's curse, for the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. Second Peter 3.6. So the present post-flood world that we live in is now under the dominion of Satan, who is the prince of this world, and of all the kingdoms of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ came to deliver us from this present evil world, And as the text says of the scripture, this world shall not even be remembered nor come into mind. It shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Romans 8.21. To add to that, I remember Dr. David Jeremiah in one of his sermons saying, if you want to get a good perspective on the things of this world, Go around to everything that's important to you and put a sticky note on it that says to be burned. Yes, I remember that. (laughs) Because in the last days, this whole world and the whole universe will will be burned up. Mm -hmm. The Lord tells us that. So doesn't that make you stop and pause Mm -hmm. and put things into perspective? What is it that we're really... You're not taking any of this with you. No. None of it. But you can take people, souls, lives... And I heard it said the other day, too, we are all eternal. Mm-hmm. You're either going to be eternally with the Lord mm-hmm. or eternally in hell. Mm-hmm. There's no in between. Yep. We don't just cease to exist. Enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. We are all eternal. So thoughts for the day. Thoughts for the day. And thank you for that. And let's get to Judith Reisman, Dr. Judith Reisman. My name is Judith Reisman. 
Um, I have a PhD in mass media effects and communication. And uh, I have been uh, working on pornography, uh, child sexual abuse, the causes of child sexual abuse uh, for many, many years. And um, I got my degree, it was in, I think, 76, something like that, yeah. Uh, I, I had been working for Captain Kangaroo, doing songwriting and singing, you know, my material, and also for educational television before that, uh, what we called ETV. No, we would, yeah, that's right, educational. They call it now PBS. I don't know what they call it. But uh, so I'd been doing a lot of work on creating um, musical materials for these guys and um, awards, got awards and whatnot. And um, was very happy with all that. Uh, I did a program called Children's Fair on which I was Cousin Judy and I sang with a puppet and that kind of thing, you know, and it was really nice. And then um, everything switched, everything changed when I found that my daughter had been sexually abused by a 13-year-old boy upstairs. It shifted my interest, shall we say, to why, you know, he, he was coming from a... a, a intact, you would call it, father-mother family. He had a younger brother. Uh, why did he do this? And how, how old was your daughter? 10. And in those years, a 10-year-old was considered, you know, my goodness, that was ridiculous, you know. Nowadays, okay, we're down to children, babies, babies, really, honestly, because I do a regular Google search for baby rape. Yeah. And so it's we're disintegrating rapidly. So tell me more about the incident that happened and tra changed your trajectory in your life's work. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, my husband and I had been out walking. It was in Milwaukee. We lived in Milwaukee at the time. And we lived in a little farm community. So, you know, it seemed like the safest place in the world. And so we went for a little walk, and we told my daughter, Jenny, to keep an eye on the other three girls while we walked. We were across the way, just just down, you know, just slightly across. And uh, so she said, yeah. And she was supposed to be watching the, her three sisters. And uh, we came back, I guess we were about a half an hour and in that half an hour, our lives changed. Our family's lives changed. Uh, everything was different because we came back and uh, she was a little upset, but we couldn't tell anything right away. But it turned out that uh, the boy had raped, raped her. And while, while, the, while our other neighbor boy um, stood guard over the other three girls so that they wouldn't know what was going on. Uh, he had threatened her uh, and he had raped her. And um, 
she didn't say anything about it, but some, something was very wrong, right? And finally, a couple of days later, she admitted this is what happened. Or, or was it a couple of days later? Maybe not, no. It was a full year before we really found out. It's something, we knew something, but it, it was a full year. And she had, uh, we didn't drink, you know, but we had a bottle of wine that we sometimes used on Friday nights, you know, for Shabbat kind of thing. And uh, we found she was taking wine on the bus and putting it into a little bottle. And she was giving, handing it out to the boys and just completely unusual behavior for her. Uh, and um, and then other behaviors were completely out of character. And one night, I she was in the tub, and I asked her what what, what was bothering her. And she said, "You're going to tell Daddy." Now, I always was raised to I was raised to believe, you know, we should share everything. The husband and wife should know everything. Uh, but her father was a, a violent guy on occasion, and she was re had reason to be concerned. And so I said, no, it's okay. I'm not telling Dad. We'll keep this. It's okay. And something is bothering you. So she said, she told me what happened, she said. Um, and I said, well, it's not your fault, honey. This had nothing to do with, you know, you, certainly you didn't do anything wrong, but you were seduced. Now, that was the only word I knew in those days. We didn't even know. We didn't even say rape. Mm -hmm. Rape was not, it was so uncommon to, to hear about, so on. But that was okay. She, you know, it didn't make that much difference. And so, of course, my immediate thought was, well, we, we really should tell daddy, you know. No, 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 you can't tell daddy. So I tried, uh, that's when I called my friend. I had to tell somebody. Mm -hmm. So I called my friend in Berkeley, California, mm -hmm. Carol. I told her what happened. And she said, well, Judy, don't, don't, you don't have to, you know, take that too seriously. She said, you know, children are sexual from birth. You know, so she says uh, she probably gave out some kind of, of you know, reasonable image that that, that caused it to happen. It, it probably didn't bother her. And I said, that's not what happened. I know, no, you know, she was upset and this, this damage was damaging and no. And so I hung up. And I thought, that was not the kind of answer that I accepted. So I called my aunt in Maryland, a nice, respectable matriarch, right? And I told her what happened. And she said, well, you know, Judy, she said, you have to understand, children are sexual from birth. I thought, what? What? She says, you know, she probably put out sort of, you know, some kind of vibe, and, and he picked it up, and and so that's what happened. I said, you know, from from Berkeley to Maryland matriarch, what what is that? You know, from a from a, a 
a gal who's, you know, wears the Birkenstock shoes and, and it's all, you know, to, to Maryland. Uh, no, that something is really awry here. Um, so, uh, and we ended up telling daddy, but he was okay. I mean, but his response was interesting. He said, did you have her checked, to have her checked for venereal disease? Or he didn't say that, have her checked by the doctor. But he was thinking VD. That wasn't even any, we did, we, human beings at that period of time, which would be 19, 1960, yeah, 1960, right. Didn't even have these, these vague thoughts, yeah? So, um, Anyway, that we were instructed by Jenny. She said we wanted to turn him into the police. She said absolutely no. She wouldn't let us. We were not to tell the police. We were not to tell anybody. It was just our secret. Okay, that's what you know. That's how. And uh, but you sure about the police? Yes, absolutely. Well, it turns out later, as I did my research. That was very important not to tell the police. Why? Because there was what I discovered. I ended up calling the peer rape, the peer rape allowance. Yeah, mm -hmm. because it it turns out that in the law subsequent to the American Law Institute Model Penal Code, which I discovered later, uh, there was a period you could a boy who was. Uh, five years older than the girl, or maybe t in some places 10, or maybe less than five. It was child-child sex play, defined as sex play. What? So if we had contacted the police, it would have been another additional trauma for her because they would, well, what did you say to him? What did you do? do, you know, we know that children are sexual from birth. So that children are sexual from birth haunted me. Uh, I knew a party line when I heard one because I came from a communist family. Mom and dad was during depression and they had become commies or, you know, mm -hmm. as, as mi millions had at that time. Uh, you know, they were, there were bread lines. People were standing in bread lines, and it was a really tough time. So people looked for another alternative. They thought, well, this would be better than what we have, mm -hmm. uh, not understanding the situation properly. But I knew when I heard that they were repeating, they were repeating a, a, a phrase they had learned and where had they learned it? This became the issue. Where did they learn across the board? That would mean that it was across, you know, across the country that, quote, children are sexual in birth, which justifies rape, justifies raping children by an adult who is within certain number of years of the child and or by another kid. Well, then I was at my aunt's house years later, and I saw Kinsey up on the shelf. And by that time, I was, you know, honing into 
Kinsey's role in all this. And I said, Aunt Libby, I said, what's that? And she said, well, it's an important book. You know, she says, everybody was reading it. You know, we everybody was reading it uh, to know how, you know, our sexuality. And I said, that's Alfred Kinsey. Yeah, sure. Uh-huh. Okay. So I'm looking at that and I'm looking at the pages in there. And of course, it becomes part of my life. I'm looking at page uh, 180, and it shows a, a, a four-year-old child having 26 orgasms, 26 orgasms, a four-year-old child, in 24 hours. Well, by that time, I would had been back at school if, if I needed to be back in school. You know, what do you need to figure out? That's an experiment around the clock. What? And this was the man my aunt was quoting, Carol was quoting, and the world was quoting. He had become the model for human sexuality education. As Donahue said, you know, later when we did an interview with Donahue, and he said he was defending Kinsey, of course, because he worked for the Kinsey Institute with with June Reinish, and he said in his interview with me and a couple other people, he said, this is Dr. Alfred Kinsey, the greatest researcher on human sexuality. He says, he, oh yeah, he said, like Marie Curie found, yeah, he's, and, and, Kins, and Einstein, E equals MC squared, Dr. Kinsey, established human sexuality, he says, for a generation of sexologists, and that was true at that time, a generation of sexologists, he says, and they were all standing on Kinsey. They all learned from Kinsey. And, Ki and he said, and Kinsey, you're saying Kinsey was a dirty old man. And he was. No, he said, no, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was married. He was a respectable guy. Um, you know, monogamous marriage, which turned out to be a bunch of bunk. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a homosexual, bisexual uh, who engaged in sadomasochistic activity, which essentially wiped him out. He died of orchitis, which was associated with doing damage to your organs. Yeah. And... um and he only hired people like him to do his alleged research. Anyway, all that, you know. So, okay. Anyway, that's a little bit of my background. Well, thank you guys for listening and tuning in today and sticking through to the end. We appreciate you being here. And we pray for all of our listeners. We just are so encouraged when you guys send us notes and letters. So if you want to send us a message, you can do that through email at markandamber at fearlessfeatures.org. And also one more thing, just wanted to um, update everybody. There will be a public screening of our latest film, Inwood Drive, that is on March 17th at the University of St. Francis in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Doors open at 5.30. The film starts at 6. It's at the Science Building. I don't know how to say that word. Yeah. The Akats Science <laughs> Center or Science and Research we'll, Center. We'll have some information up on our website soon. Right. At fearlessfeatures.org. Right. But anyway, admission is free. 
uh, sponsored by USF Students for Life. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, uh, we will be there for a Q&A. Yeah, so we would so love exciting. to meet you. Yeah, we would love to meet you. Come on out. Well, thank you guys. That's all the time we have for today. We will talk to you next Tuesday. Have a blessed day.